0: Good morning. I'm Henrietta Hill. My husband and I have been attending here for about 29 years. And my allergies are crazy, so I may go really low. (laughs) Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day.
1: Thank you. You may be seated. Good morning, everybody. I know that's a real uh, Christmassy verse, right? You know, going, hey, I think this is Christmas time. It's December. And uh, so this month, we're doing some things where kind of looking at in the process of uh, the month, we have a theme, we call it, Come Thou Long Expected Jesus. And so what we've been doing is, uh, well, what we will be doing over the next few weeks is we'll be looking at some of these different passages, but we want to look at, we want to look at the expectation that God's people had of him coming. And so this week, we're going to look at really kind of from the beginning, we're going to look in Genesis, and we're looking at the coming of Christ when he would come as a child, as a baby in the manger, we, you know, that time of the year when we celebrate his birth. Next, we're going to look at the consolation of Israel, the, the hope of Israel, the salvation of Israel. And then the following week, we're, we're going to, right before Christmas Eve, we'll be in the book of Revelation, right, Revelation 21. And really what we're going to be looking at, the consummation of all things, that God has sent his son with a purpose and a plan and an intent. And so, therefore, we ask ourselves the question, in regards to ourselves and our expectation of Christ's coming. Are you you excited about Jesus coming? I mean, I was hoping it'd be today, so I don't have to worry about all the problems that are laid out at the head of the week. But really, that isn't the reason we seek for him to come, is it? We want him to come because he will restore all things. We will be new in Christ, no more of this body that I fight, this world of sin that seems to conquer. So one of the things that we asked, we did this a couple of weeks ago. We, some of y'all were running from me, but we were going around grabbing people and just off the top of their heads, asking them different questions. And one of the questions we asked them was just about, you know, where the Jewish people prepared. And another question was, how do, you, uh, how do you think Jesus will come again? And then, how do we prepare for Jesus coming? So, each week we're going to be looking at some of those responses. So, this morning, we, in light of uh, the, the theme of come down long expected Jesus, we have a video of some of y'all's responses, uh, the ones who at least would answer the questions for us on, on film. So, uh,
0: no, they were expecting what the Old Testament mentioned. Royalty or what they thought was a king and so when Jesus came as a baby and came as Something completely different they weren't expecting it. and so no they were not. I think they were prepared in the sense that they had prophecy for Jesus coming, but I don't think they were fully prepared for that possibility just yet But I don't think
1: they, I don't think they're ready. I believe that they were knowing that Messiah was gonna come, but they didn't know how or when, when or where specifically, but they, but I guess when he was coming, they weren't fully expecting it to be, this, to be that way. I think they wanted him to come. I don't know that they were prepared for what that actually meant, right? Uh, they were expecting, but didn't have uh, the right expectations.
0: I think the Jewish people were waiting and waiting for the Messiah to come, and then they had had that 400 years of silence, so their hearts were really ready. Mm -hmm. But when he came, they didn't really recognize him.
1: Uh, I think they were looking, but I think a lot of them missed it, just because they were looking for somebody to come and conquer and, you know, overtake the Romans and stuff like that. They weren't looking for somebody that was coming to, um, you know, sacrifice himself for our sins. Awesome. So those are the brave people. And, the <laughs> and and Riley, if you saw her, she wasn't about to take a snack. She was actually holding the mic. And I, I saw that the first hour. I was like, oh, it looks like she's ready to take a bite or something. But she's just holding the mic anyway. So as we begin to look at this month and we say, come thou long expected Jesus. May Jesus come today. May today be the day that he would, the trumpets would sound and he would come when we're looking at the Jewish folks and we're looking at the Old Testament and the expectations that they had, what are some of those things that they were looking at? The very first verse I want to look at is in, in Genesis chapter 1. And I, I'm just going to tell you, I don't normally have this many slides and I don't normally do this. I'm putting a lot of the verses up on the, on the screen so you can follow because you may not be able to jump as fast as I'm going to go through. But in Genesis 1.1, 1, 1, it says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and earth. God created the heavens and the earth. In other words, God in his creativity, in his authority, his creative power to bring about creation, everything starts with his creative powers. In the beginning, God. And I love this verse because one of the things this verse doesn't do is it doesn't introduce God. God is there. It doesn't give credentials. He doesn't give his his um, resume about why he should be God. He doesn't write the scriptures in the Bible in order to determine or tell us that he's God. He is God and he is there. Um, God doesn't, doesn't become not God because I don't believe. And he doesn't become God because I do believe. God is God and he is the center of creation. It's one of the realities, in fact, for me in my own walk with my God one of the major things that changed in my walk was when I came to a place and understood that the sovereignty of God, that God is God and he is God, and that's enough. And when I begin to realize that and I bring myself under his authority, under who he is as God in all of creation and what he's laid out, when I understand that, then I begin to experience the blessings and the intents of God. Because when you look at the source, when you look at the center of creation, it's God. And it's him there. It was his creativity. It was his activity alone that established the heavens and earth. It was him who laid out the parameters of time and space and established the creation. Yeah, that's a good place for an amen. This is going to be one of those days. I'm telling you right now, folks, I haven't... haven't, haven't, preaching a little while, and so I'm kind of itchy for amens. If I'm doing this, it's because I need an amen, or I don't know. No, you know why amens are important to me? Because, dear people of God, if you don't affirm the truth in your life, how are you going to be able to act on it? Right? So when you say, when you're agreeing and you're recognizing God speaking to you, that's affirming truth in your life. And it's when we obey truth, when we walk in his truth, that we experience his blessings in our lives. So to me, it's one reason. But most of us are, sometimes we're just some, I'm more outward and some of us aren't as much. What's interesting is in this chapter, one of the things I did when I looked at this chapter is I was like, I wonder how many times when it begins with God, how many times it says God as compared to man, And it was interesting, 30 times in this chapter, it's making a reference to God and only like three times to man. Why? Because he's the center of creation. And if you're gonna walk after Christ, you're gonna be a new believer. If you're gonna have an expectation of Jesus coming, you know where it starts? It starts with God. He's the sustainer and the keeper of life. He is everything in the creation. So it's important to understand the truths of his word and what he has to say. In verse 26 of the same chapter of Genesis, God says this. He says, "Then God said, "Let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the air, uh, birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth." And then verse 27, it goes on and confirms, so God created man in his own image, and in the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. When you talk about the crowning point of God's creation, it's when he brought about and he breathed life into the nostrils of humanity. He breathed the life into the nostrils of Adam and brought forth life. And it, and it was created in the image of him, in this image Uh, 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 this picture of us of humanity being in the image of God defines our unique relationship with God compared to all of creation we have a unique relationship with him because we've been created in the likeness of him it's interesting I'll go out with my family sometimes and my boys will be with me or whatever and and, and there's one of my sons that probably is most like me than, than the other. And it doesn't take long that people figure that out, right, that he's most like me. He's, and there's this, there's this relationship, no matter where he has, there's this unique relationship where when I say things to him, he kind of just knows what I mean and I know what he means. And it, it, it doesn't really always work sometimes when I, he's telling me one thing. I go, no, but I know what you're thinking, right? You know, because we have this unique relationship. Well, it's the true with us with God. There's a uniqueness in that we've been created in his likeness and there's a unique relationship that we have with God compared to all of creation. We've been created holy. Let that sit in. Then, when God created Adam and he created Eve, he created him in holiness. That was his intent without sin. He created him with the ability to reason, intellect and will and emotion and he said it was very good. We, read, we heard that read a minute ago. There's a unique relationship that we have with our God and that we've been created in his image. In fact, he goes on and when he begins to continue to describe in his creation, in verse 26, he says, then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion. Interesting word, over the fish of the sea and the birds of the heavens and the, over the stuff and over all the earth, over every Cre- creeping thing that creeps on the earth, you see Dominion defined humanity 's unique relationship to creation. Not only have we been created in the, in the in in a unique relationship with God because we 've been created in his image, but he also created us to be his representatives in the in the managing that of of creation, and so we have a unique relationship to the rest of creation now keep in mind we 're still talking in the scriptures here we 're still talking before sin has entered the picture. When people sometimes say to me and they go, well, I don't know why God created this world like this. I'm like, well, he didn't, he created us in holiness, he created us in right relationship, He created us to be in a right relationship with the creation which he gave us to manage to be his representative as we oversee and overrule or rule over his creation. The command to rule over his creation separated us from the rest of, of creation. It's, it's an interesting picture in the, when we begin to realize in the beauty of that moment in the garden in which God had intended in this relationship, he did not intend us to be fearful of, his, of him. He did not intend us to be in shame. He did not intend us to be those who would walk in disobedience. His, in, his intention was us to be in communion with him. In verse 28 of chapter one, it says, and God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful, multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and the birds of the heavens over every living thing that moves on the earth. God, having just created the universe and created the creation, created the earth, he created his representatives who would oversee and to manage. He now tells humanity to fill the earth and to bring about in its management of its resources that this is the picture in which God... Would have us to oversee the operation of the garden. In fact, I believe it's the, was the service that they had for God. In the same verse in verse twenty-eight. Not only it says God bless them and God said to them, "Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth." He says also to subdue it. The picture isn't to subdue in the sense that there was something wild that they had to bring into control, but it was the picture of, of speaking of productive ordering of the earth or of the creation. It's the idea of its inhabitants to, to bring about and to yield the good fruits that God intended and to bring about God's plans and purposes that God had given them in a the service to, to manage creation, to, to bring about those things. That's why when um, I have a daughter that loves, loves the, the wilderness and likes to go barefooted out in the woods and she just she always goes, man, I just feel so, so close to the earth. And I'm like, well, I think it's biblical, right? Because we were put here to manage the resources to manage the creation unfortunately and we'll talk about it in a minute but what do we do in sin that we often do right we misuse God's resources we mismanage we have a tendency to hoard and use it for self rather for the intention and the purposes which God gave us so now humanity would fill the earth and oversee its operations, and it speaks of its yield and its riches and its accomplishments. To me, it's a beautiful picture of kind of the unity that was taking place. God would walk in the garden, and man didn't run from from God; they ran up to God. There wasn't shame between husband and wife. There wasn't misalienation that was taking place. There wasn't blame. There was. There was unity and purpose and intent. I think it's a beautiful picture. And then in chapter three, I have a word that I write in my Bible and right, actually right next to verse six, but I write this word devastation, because everything changed. Everything changed. In verse one of chapter three, it tells us a serpent, more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made and he said to the woman, did God actually say you shall not eat of every tree in the garden? What a preposterous statement. And yet I find ourselves that we do that often too, don't we? We reclassify the way God said something. Did God actually mean this? Did God ever say not to eat? of? How would they survive? Not to eat of the trees of the garden. It was the intent in order for them to question the purpose and intents and plans of God. And so many times we, we see something that doesn't fit a certain way and we kind of begin to do the same thing. And Eve responds, she says, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, verse 2 and 3, but God said you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it lest you die. Now, did she quote it accurately? No, she added something, didn't she? She added, and neither shall you touch it. God didn't say that. He told them not to eat of the tree. And sometimes we do that in order to try to make a point. We worry about, well, we teach grace, right? And everyone worry, well, man, if you teach grace, everybody's just gonna run wild and crazy. Well, that's foolishness. Because if the Holy Spirit is dwelling within, the Spirit convicts us of righteousness and judgment and of sin. But we add things and she did the same thing here. And you're just seeing this take place where now God is being doubted in his purpose and his intents. In verses three and four of Genesis three, it says, the serpent responds, our adversary, the Satan of himself, you will not surely die. I mean, God doesn't mean what he just said, right? You will not die. I mean, little lies are okay, right? We do it all the time. God doesn't really mean good for me, where he would have given me. We begin to impose things on our lives. They, they were trans, he was twisting the word in order to be able to get, a, get a doubt and, 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 and confusion. You will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. As if he was speaking on behalf of God's intent and purposes, as if, as if he knew that God didn't want them to know good and evil because he was worried about them being like him. And somehow they begin to think that God was withholding good. I mean, they looked at the tree and they saw it was good. Is God withholding good from me? Man, it's so easy for us to fall into those ideas about God. God, in the beginning, God created the heavens and Earth. He hasn't changed, dear people of God. He's the same yesterday, today and forevermore. He isn't changing. We are the ones that change, and we begin to doubt His purposes and His plans. We begin to doubt the things He's putting in our lives. This has been a, just to be honest with you, this has been a really rough week for me. There was a couple of days where I was so tense, nobody wanted to be around me, and there was good reason. And the stress and some things of trying to go through moving. Man, why do anybody ever move? I, I just still don't know why this is. Like, I just need a bed to go to bed and go to sleep in at night. That's all I really want, right? But you go through this process and there's tension and there's agony and there's all these things. And, and you start thinking, well, we found this perfect place. Why wouldn't God give that to us? Is God going to withhold good? And I even found myself going, God, why would you do that? And wait. We so many times fall into those traps, and that's what's going on here. We hear these things, and we think that somehow God's withholding good, or that we'll be like God, and we'll be able to judge good and evil, and we'll be able to handle it. And the reality is, we don't really know how to beat ourselves out of a paper sack to get out of a paper sack because of the enslavement of of sin and death. We need him, but this is what's going on. The serpent has deceived Eve and created doubt. And so in verse six, it says, so when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit and ate and she also gave to her husband who was with her and he ate. Three things that she saw here. She saw one, that the tree was good for food. She saw that it was a delight to the eyes. And it was to be desired to make one wise. And so what was the action she took in disobedience? They ate. Right there, I have a little arrow in my Bible over to the word devastation. Because nothing would ever be the same again. The world that we live in, the world that we fight continuously, and the battle of sin and death is about us and devastation took place. Everything changed. Now Adam is going to God when he asks him about what happened. Well, it was that woman, right? And she's going, well, it was that snake, that serpent. And there's mistrust. There's alienation. There's shame. We're naked. We know, there, there's uncertainty They're running from God instead of to God. They fear God rather than experience the love of God. And everything that Satan promised when he said, because when you eat of that fruit, you would be like God, everything he promised in the enlightenment of that truth did not happen. You know why? Because when we, wisdom will never be attained through disobeying God's word. Wisdom will never be attained by disobeying God's word. Young people hear that. This is truth. The word of God tells us that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, Proverbs one eight, Wisdom does not come, enlightenment does not come by disregarding the truths of God's word. It doesn't come in disobedience. It doesn't come in those times when we think that we're gonna have our way. He did not put us here. It's when you think about it, he wrote this book and he made an accord and he didn't write it just for us. I mean, he didn't write it about us. He wrote it about him. In fact, in chapter two, verses 15 through 17, it says this, the Lord took the man and put him in the garden of Eden To work it and to keep it. I think that was their service. That was the intent. That's what God had given them to do was to work and to to subdue, to manage, to oversee the creation. And the Lord commanded, the Lord God commanded the man. In fact, that's the first time in, in the scriptures you see the word command, in the Hebrew word for command. The Lord commanded, and it's very strong. He commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of the tree, of every tree of the garden but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. You know, I've thought about this. We don't like talking about sin. Our culture hates talking about sin because you know, we're putting each other down. We're all these kinds of things, but without sin, where's the gospel? If we didn't fall into iniquity and the traps of sin and death, Why would we need a Savior? We need a Savior because God placed them in the garden to take care of the garden, and that was their service. And God commanded them not to eat of that tree because He told them, In the day that you eat of that tree, you will surely die. And they disobeyed, and it plunged all of humanity into the depths of sin and death. It was a consequence of justice. The disobedience brought about justice and consequences. It wasn't just God being a mean God. and He's gonna judge, you know, bring about bad things. It was a result of their disobedience. And it was a consequence. And part of that consequence is that they moved from, a, from, the, from the garden and in the presence of God into the domain of darkness and sin and death. They entered into a different realm. There's, there's no more hope. That's why I put devastation In fact, in Paul, talking to the Colossian believers, he uses this phrase in verses 13 and 14. He said, he has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. No wonder we should be saying, Lord Jesus, come. Come, thou long-expected Jesus. Come, Jesus, come. Come, Jesus, come. Because he's our hope. And that's the next phrase I put. Right next to verse 15, I wrote in big words, hope, hope, hope that when it says there, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring, he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. And speaking of the promise and the hope of one that would come, there's a perpetual struggle between humanity and darkness. There is an adversary who is about, who goes about and wants to destroy every one of you in this room today. Everyone on this that's listening online. There's an adversary. There's, our adversary is Satan himself. He wants to destroy you, he wants to deceive you, young people. He wants to destroy your marriage, he wants to destroy your relationships. He wants you to forget who God is. He wants you to doubt him. Oh, God, surely you won't die. Does God mean that? Dear people of God, we need to be a people who are wise and understand the truth thereof. The devastation happened, but here in verse 15, there's hope. There's a promise of a miraculous birth. There's a promise of redemption. Martin Luther Writing on this passage, he said this, all the promises of God lead back to the first promise concerning Christ of Genesis chapter three, verse 15. The faith of the fathers in the Old Testament era and the faith of the New Testament are one and the same faith in Christ Jesus. Time does not change the ob- object of true faith. There is and has always been and will always will be one mind, one impression, one faith concerning Christ among true believers whether they lived in past times now or in the future because salvation is through one. From beginning to end, your Bible is an epic story about Jesus, about God's love, about the redemption of God and about the glory of God who expressed himself in his son to us. The scriptures weren't written about us, they were written for us that we might know truth we are not the center of the plan, dear people of God. I know that goes against all our Western thought. I know. I mean, every time I go into McDonald's, right, i got to have it my way, right? Is it, or is it that Burger King? I used to be in that business, but anyway, you now I forgot. <laughs> right? We, I mean, why do we do those poor waiters? You know, they keep going and we keep pushing. We feel like kings, and we're not. We're devastated by sin and death, and without Christ, without hope, How would we deliver ourselves? We couldn't fight our way out of a bag. There's no way. The focus of the scriptures is far greater. The hero of scripture is far better. The Bible has one ultimate plan, one ultimate plot, one ultimate champion, one ultimate king. It's the promise and the grace and the mercy that are seen by every time there was another birth for the Jewish people. Because he said his, her offspring will crush his head. He'll bring a de- devastating blow. So every time there was another birth, there was hope. Every time there was another generation, there was hope. Can you begin to see the ex- expectation of the Jewish people as they were looking for their Redeemer, for the consolation of Israel, for the salvation of Israel, for the message that would come through the Redeemer that God had promised it's marching towards the final outcome and that, it, and that what God would complete and consummate. It's my goal that these next three weeks, this today and the next two Sundays and then into our, Easter, our Christmas Eve service. Boy, I'm, I, I've been doing that all week. I, mean, I asked somebody last week, how was your Christmas? And they just looked at me, well, I haven't gone through Christmas yet. <laughs> oh yeah, okay. But it's that picture that, that we're marching through time and we're looking up. Come, Jesus, come. Sorry if I'm yelling. I get excited. We can go to a football game and yell all day long, but man, dear people of God, we should be yelling, Jesus, come, Jesus, come. May it be today. Is your heart moving? Are you ready for Jesus to come? May he come. May he come today. And you get to see them after that promise and here's another generation, and here's another birth. We go into Genesis chapter 12 and verse 3. And God calls out Abraham, and he says the nations will be blessed through his lineage. It says this, I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And you, and in you all the families of earth shall be blessed. In you, why? Because through his line was going to come the Christ, the Messiah, the, the, the one that was going to deliver us from our sins because we no longer could climb out. We were in a different domain, and God needed us to buy us and redeem us. Why do people sometimes think, well, why didn't God just clip his fingers and make everything go away? Well, because we were enslaved in sin and death. We had to be delivered. Death had to be conquered. Sin had to be conquered. And we couldn't do it ourselves. We needed a savior. We needed a redeemer. And as God's people were looking, and God calls out Abraham. And then he says in Genesis 17, verse 19, when Abraham's like, hey, what about Ishmael? And he's referring to it a different way. And God says, no. But Sarah, your wife, shall bear you a son, and you shall call his name Isaac. And I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his offspring after him. God had a plan and he's marching and every time there was another birth, there there was more grace, there was more mercy because God is working out his plan. In Genesis chapter 28, verse 14, talking about Jacob's offspring, he says, your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth. You shall spread abroad to the west and to the east. I love this, God covers every direction. And to the north and to the south, And in you and your offspring shall all the families of earth be blessed. Why? Because the Messiah, the chosen one of God, our Redeemer, Emmanuel, was gonna come through that line and all would be blessed by him. Come, Jesus. Come, Jesus. Come, thou long expected Jesus. Is your heart pumping? May Jesus come today. Have you, for a moment, forgotten about all the responsibilities you have for this week? The trips, the bills, the responsibilities, and for a moment to stop and go, Jesus, come. Jesus, come. Come, Jesus, that's what we live for. That's our hope. He said in Micah, he prophesied in Micah 4, but you, O Bethlehem, you who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, From you shall come forth for for me one who is to be a ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from old, from ancients of days. He's coming. They should have known. They were looking. Here he's coming. We should know he's in Bethlehem. Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14: Born of a virgin, God with us, therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. You want to know? How are you going to know, behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel, God with us. Thank God, praise God, hallelujah to God that he did not leave us in our sin and death and the darkness of the domain of darkness. Amen. Amen. Praise God that he sent his son. And he says, hey, here's a sign. Here's a sign that he's going to be born of a virgin. And you're going to call his name Emmanuel because God will be with you. Amen, that we have a God that did not leave us in darkness. This is the one who will bring the crushing blow to sin and death, who will set captives free. Isaiah prophesying in chapter 61, verse one, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. Because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty, freedom to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound. He has come to set us free from the bondage of sin and death. Hallelujah. And I in Daniel chapter 9, verse 20. 24, he tells us he will put an end to sin. This, this, if this doesn't get you this morning, folks, let's, let's, um, let's pull off your shoes and socks and tickle you and see if you're, you're moving, right? This should get you going. Daniel 9, 24, 70 weeks are decreed about your people and your holy city to finish the transgression. Did you hear that? To finish the transgression. To put an end to sin. Oh what a great day that will be when he wipes away the tears and sin will be no more and to atone for iniquity to bring an everlasting bring an everlasting righteousness to seal both vision and profit and to know the most holy place. Amen. Amen. Not only that he will conquer death. Isaiah 25 Isaiah chapter 25, verses 7 and 8. And he will swallow up on this mountain the covering that is cast over all peoples, the veil that spreads over all nations, darkness, deception, the foolishness of our iniquities. He will swallow up death forever. He will swallow up death forever. Amen. Amen. And the Lord will wipe away tears from all their faces. Hallelujah. No more pain. And the reproach, that word reproach means disgrace or shame. The reproach of his people he will take away from all the earth. Listen to this. For the Lord has spoken. It's not because... I get this right every time. This week, I I didn't have a good week. A couple of times, at the end of the day, I just felt shame because I couldn't handle some of my emotions. I fell. I mean, just y'all put up with me. And I felt shame and I felt reproach. And then when I was reading this again yesterday, I was like, he's gonna take that away. He's gonna take it away. To God be the glory, forever and ever. To His name be lifted up. Hallelujah! Hallelujah! To God be the glory. I want to end this message with the words from we sang. It was the first song we sang. Death was arrested. Listen to these words. I think it really ties up what we're saying. Alone in my sorrow, and dead in my sin, lost without hope, with no place to begin. Isn't that where we were at? Your love made a way to let mercy come in when death was arrested and my life began. Released from my chains, I'm a prisoner no more. My shame was a ransom he faithfully bore. He canceled my debt and he called me his friend when death was arrested and my life began. Our savior displayed on a criminal's cross. Darkness rejoiced as though heaven had lost. But then Jesus arose with our freedom in hand. That's when death was arrested and my life began. Oh, your grace so free washes over me. You have made me new Your life begins, my life begins with you. It's your endless love pouring down on us. You have made us new. Now life begins with you. Oh, we're free, free, forever we're free. Come on, people, amen. Forever we're free. Come join the song of all the redeemed. Come, Jesus, come, 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 Jesus. Yes, we're free, free forever, amen. When death was arrested and my life began, amen. Let's pray. Father God, this morning, Lord, I pray your spirit moves. Some of us, Father, we've gotten distracted. I know, Lord. So many things this week that were going on in my own life. Thank you, God, you heard my prayers. And thank you for your truth because, Father, it is when we're in obeying your word that we experience blessing and we experience your richness, we experience your love, your mercy, your grace. It's there that, Father, we find the things that we desire. Lord, I pray for those that are here this morning, your spirit would move among us. You would speak to us. Someone's here, Father, has never trusted in Christ and they know that they're still in that domain of darkness, that of sin and death and they need to be set free. Father, I pray they would come this morning they would just talk to us. That we could share with them of, of the freedom that is in your son, Jesus Christ, the forgiveness of sins. Father, maybe some of us have just kind of got lost in the midst of the world and all of its activities and the things that are going on. Just remind us that we would have that expectation that we would be looking for Christ, that our hope is in Christ more than our, our politics and the social agendas and jobs and what we have in our bank accounts. But God, Our life is Jesus. When he conquered death, our life began. To you be the glory and the praise. In Jesus' name, amen.